times. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Amen He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you surrender to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come from the coming storm while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Now for almost, almost three weeks, I've been crippled, not being able to use my right leg in a great deal of anguish and pain, but rejoicing in the Lord. And many of you have sent very encouraging messages. One of those messages came from a dear sister, and she wrote that when you are completely filled with the Holy Spirit, the full anointing of the Holy Spirit, I believe you will be healed. Well, this is really up front. I'm not trying to hide what's happened. And I am saying, in the name of Jesus, I will be healed. I've not gone to the emergency room. I've not seen a doctor. Not because I don't believe in doctors. I do. But how could I turn my back on my healer for 30 years? Now, I'm raising this issue just briefly today. Pastor David Wilkerson was my father in the faith. And when I I met him with another man, uh, with his elders, in a full session of the of the Times Square Church. They laid hands on me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I was excited and happy, for it's what I most wanted. I went home, and everything seemed to be the same. I couldn't tell any difference. And so after several weeks, I called Pastor David. I said, Pastor David, I can't tell any difference. May I come to New York City and have you anoint me with oil? I didn't know some of his stories of being anointed with oil. He said, Brother Ray, no. I can't give to you an anointing that I don't have. So you need to go in the anointing that you have and wait upon the Lord. That's what I'm doing. His words shocked me, but I understood the wisdom of it. And from that time until now, knowing that I do have an anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life, but it is not the anointing that brings forth revival. It's not an anointing that heals the sick. And I'm grieved by that. For I want that anointing in my heart and in my life. I cannot do what the Lord has assigned me to do without his Holy Spirit and mighty power. I'm going to speak with you today a continuation of yesterday's message and the day before. You recall I spoke with you about an amazing healing in a man by the name of G.C. Bevington at the turn of the century, ministering in Chattanooga, Cleveland, Ohio, southern Ohio, southern states. He had smashed three ribs was in immense pain. And after some days of being totally crippled and destroyed, he went to a doctor. 
that doctor was very offended that he would not accept any free medical care from a doctor in Nashville, Tennessee. But then he witnessed the miraculous total healing as evidenced on the x-ray machine. All the ribs were restored. There was no pain or suffering. He was restored. Let's pick this story up. The doctor shows up and he says to Brother Bevington, I want you to come to our Presbyterian church on Lookout Mountain and give your testimony tomorrow morning. I will vouch for it. I will pick you up in my car and I will take you. I will, I said. So we went. There seemed to be no objections of any kind to my testimony. It took me an hour to tell it all, and I felt it seemed awful dry. No one seemed to be interested in it except the doctor, his wife, his son and daughter, aged 23 and 19 years respectively. The doctor wanted me to preach that night, and the pastor finally agreed, although somewhat reluctantly. I did preach, touching lightly on holiness, but in such a way that they all knew where I stood and what I claimed. At the close, I said, I feel there is someone here who would like to get saved, saved with old-time salvation. But I see there is no altar here. The word here had scarcely left my lips when the doctor had two chairs. He put them out. His son and daughter fell to their knees and there began praying. This did not suit the pastor. He soon pronounced the benediction and had the lights extinguished, leaving almost half of his congregation in the dark. We had to carefully feel our way out of there and go home. The next day I was happily surprised to see the doctor at my door. He threw his arms around me and said, Brother Bevington, the children want to get through. So in they came and knelt down, and by the middle of the afternoon they both got saved. I went back to their Wednesday night prayer meeting where the son and daughter gave their testimony of their experience. Then the doctor stood up and said, I move we invite Bevington up here to hold a meeting. That's one move that never got a second. It was kicked out of there before it even had a chance to show itself. But the doctor was not to be denied. So the next morning he showed up at my place and he said, Brother Bevington, I want that blessing you preach about. Doctor, are you sure you do? Yes, I am sure. Do you want it bad enough to get down here and die out? Yes, sir. Then die out to that Presbyterian church. I already have. Last night's action settled the Presbyterian church for me. Can you die out to that proud wife of yours? I ask him. Yes, sir, for she will be after the same thing. And down he went in my bedroom, and he remained there three days, groaning and pleading and wrestling. Then I heard a knock at the door. It was his wife. I was somewhat surprised. About her reason for being there. But a second look at her allied allayed my fears. Is the doctor here, she asked, in a more meek and humble attitude than I'd given her credit for being able to have? He called out from the bedroom. Come on in, honey. In she went and fell into his arms. 
crying and kissing him. That was a happy surprise for me, for I had feared just the opposite reaction. She rose to her feet and said, Brother Bevington, I want this blessing in my life. So after it, she went. She stayed there all night, praying, wrestling. The next morning, proposed to go to their home and fight it out. I was a little scared about that until she said, we will take Brother Bevington with us. So I agreed, and I went with them. We were on our faces 42 hours in their home, with no one eating a thing. In fact, neither the doctor nor I had eaten anything for nearly six days. That night, the four of them went to their Tuesday night prayer meeting, all on fire, testifying of what God had done. They were quickly sat down, and at the end of the meeting, their membership letters were handed to them. God had delivered them from that cold ice chest. Now, I want to stop a moment and speak with you very seriously. I have read this story to you on the air and to others. I've meditated on it. But one thing I was never quite able to understand. Why all of these hours and days of prayer? What were they fighting for in the spirit that I didn't know about? And, and how did it happen? And what was I to do? And how was God to lead me? I didn't have answers. Of course, the scriptures have the answers. But you see, we have been conditioned with a false religion. A religion, a religion that's, that's not of Jesus. A religion that's apostate, full of intellectualism, full of secular humanism. That won't get the job done. I want to read for you two passages of scripture and then we're going to talk about what this doctor and his wife and his children did and then we're going to talk about what happened after that Matthew Matthew the 16th chapter then Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24 Matthew 16, verse 24. Now, before I read it, I'm sure all of you have read this as I have many times, but it never sank in. Part of what I'm discovering in this time of, of difficulty is what I've been struggling with for years, and that is the meaning of words, the definitions of words. You see, in my experience in the church, the church, even way back in college and seminary, the church just took for granted the definition of certain words and applied them in a way that they felt comfortable in applying them. Jesus, however, does not allow for the fudging of words. He says what he means. He means what he says. See, we think we can get revival by having a music fest for a week. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. It was a deception. Let me read this. And I want you to listen carefully to the words and identify their meaning as I read them to you. And then we'll talk about it. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of God is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Wait a minute. He's going to reward each person according to what he has done. I don't get to decide my evaluation and then God's going to look at that and say, okay, you seem like a very nice person. You've been a very pleasant person. So, yeah, why don't you come and and enter into the kingdom of God? Do you remember that passage of scripture? I'm I'm shy of reading it to you because you've heard it so many times. But I don't think it ever sunk into your heart. Enter through the narrow gate, Matthew the seventh chapter, verse thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, the suffering gate, the groaning gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What seems very plain here, if we take the English at exactly what it means, that many are going to think that because of the good deeds they've done in the name of Jesus, that that entitles them to heaven. It does not. He's saying... Look, you have to enter the narrow gate. But what does that mean? It says, Not everyone who enter, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, what is the will of my Father who is in heaven? What is his will? Luke, the 14th chapter. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, 
Yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he... If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the others still a long way off and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, what is it that he's supposed to hear? Jesus was very plain, it seems to me, in saying exactly what he meant. So what did he mean? Well, that there are conditions for entering the kingdom of heaven. I want to give you those three simple conditions. Number one, deny myself. Number two, pick up my cross daily. And number three, follow Jesus. Now, You've all heard this before. This is not new to you. This is, this is old stuff. Haven't you been hearing all of your life as a Christian? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The problem is, what does that mean? Well, this doctor and many others that I have read, men who were part of John Wesley's ministry, and women, and many other old-timers. They used to have what they called a mourner's bench. What was a mourner's bench? It was the beginning place where the Holy Spirit begins to convict a man or a woman or a boy or a girl's heart. Well, what is he convicting them of? That they are doing their own will. They're going their own way. They're not denying themselves. Well, what should they deny themselves of? Everything of their flesh. Everything that they want. Everything that their heart is hungry for. I was convicted recently that I was reaching my hand out many times a day to check on my telephone. The Lord convicted me of that and said, stop, put your phone away. Well, how can I do that? That's a lifeline. I need this information. Why do I need this information? Satisfy my soul. So the first thing the Lord said to me was, put your, put your cell phone away. Push it away from you. Don't go to it anymore. Now for me, that was not easy. But for some of you, it's going to be agonizing. Because you love your cell phone. For some of you, it's going to be entertainment. 
For some of you, it's going to be your reputation. And Jesus is saying, okay, put it all away. Don't go to that entertainment anymore. Don't walk like the world. Be changed, be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Do what he did. What did Jesus do? He said no to his flesh. He said yes to crucifixion. And he followed the way of God in his life. Now, I've noticed praying with Christians. If Christians will pray, they usually pray very gentle prayers, very quiet prayers. Why? Because they don't want to give up anything they have. They don't want to give up their money. They don't want to give up their pride. They don't want to give up, or should I say, you don't want to give up your self-confidence. You don't want to give up those things in your heart that rise up that satisfy you. You don't want to give up that fornication. You don't want to give up the uncleanness and the indecency of your heart. You enjoy it. You enjoy your money. You enjoy people saluting you and saying, you're the man. We don't have much in the way of praying, even at the National Prayer Chapel. Because nobody wants to give up anything. And believe me, to give up the treasures of your heart That's not an easy task. So if I'd been there and I'd been listening to this good doctor and his wife as they prayed, I wonder if they had to give up words of bickering. I wonder if she had to give up her pride of dress. I wonder if she had to give up a spirit of argumentation and arrogance. See, I see people all the time who who take the position that they're saved and they're on, on, they're, on, they're on their way to heaven. But in fact, they can't get through the narrow gate with all of their luggage. They think, oh, this isn't a problem. I can keep this. This will bring me pleasure. Are you willing to give up being happy? Usually we think about happiness as a byproduct of getting our way, of having what we want. Are you willing to give up having your way and getting what you want? Are you willing to give up the control of your life? See, what I'm talking about is dying out. And when you're in a prayer meeting and no one is weeping before God, and no one is dealing honestly with their heart, this person Sounds like a a wonderful Christian. But then you see the way he treats people. You see the way he treats his wife. You see the way he is hail fellow around town. You see how he lives his life as a Christian for himself. He can quote the scriptures. 
but they don't mean anything. He can pray eloquently, but it doesn't mean anything. It's empty and devoid of the Spirit of God. When you meet him or her, there's no sense of, whoa, this person knows Jesus. No, instead you get the sense, this person is so full of themselves that there is no room for Jesus in their heart. Now, you're discouraged. You don't know how to get to Jesus. You're feeling hopeless. That's because you're carrying too much wickedness in your heart. And you've got to come to a place where you say, okay, I can live without this wickedness. I can live without this sexual indecency and impurity. I can live without the money. I can live without giving myself over to demons. I don't want to keep this any longer. Now, please, I'm telling you honestly that if any of these things are in your heart, you're going to have to deal honestly with God to have them removed. They're not removed by will. They're not removed by resolution. They're not removed by anything except coming to terms with Jesus Christ and crying out, Oh God, I am a sinner. Have mercy upon me. You see my attitude. You see my bitterness. You see my anger. You see my pride. You see my love for money. You see everything, Lord. I need these things removed. But they're not removed in one grand sweep. They're not removed all at once. They're removed one by one by one by one. And prayed through until Jesus grants you the victory. And you know that that thing is now removed from your life and will not ever come back into your life where you have such confidence in Jesus. It's a done deal. It's finished. Now, I want to come back. If I can find it. <laughs> yep, I think I can. I want to read for you just a short portion. They were all kicked out of the Presbyterian church. And praise God, if you're a Presbyterian or an Episcopal, yea, even if you're a United Methodist, you need to get kicked out of your church. They're habitations of darkness. Very soon thereafter, the doctor came to me and informed me that he was praying over a certain matter. His wife was impressed to make a radical change, which he found himself a little afraid of. So he and his wife put in three days of waiting in prayer upon God. His office had now remained closed for over a week. At the end of the third day, the two of them came to see me and said, we are impressed to sell our place here, get a rig, and drive through to California, preaching the old-time gospel all the way there. You know what the old-time gospel is now. Dying out to self. Denying yourself. 
taking up your cross. You have no agenda now but Jesus. You have no goals but Jesus. You have no dreams but Jesus in heaven. He says, would you give us an idea as to what we will need? We want to eat and sleep and cook and travel and preach from this wagon. I made a list of things needed. They sent it to Studebaker at South Bend, Indiana, and ordered their outfit at a cost of over $1,200. They sold off everything else they owned, and they went on the road 11 months, preaching, distributing tracts. Their children, as they called them, were sanctified three weeks after they left. That means they left all sin and no longer walked in any known rebellion. Bevington writes, I heard from them periodically all the way through their journey. Now what Bevington is saying is that one of the effects of selling out is that you're willing to go where God tells you to go. And if you're unwilling to sell out and you're unwilling to take up your cross because, oh, I'll miss my children. Oh, I can't do that. That would cost too much money. We're comfortable here. Let's be comfortable. You're going to die out to all of that stuff. And the devil's going to come and try in every way possible to convince you that this is utter nonsense and foolishness and you should regain your sense of direction. And you should go the way the devil wants you to go because then he'll be able to claim you in hell. I'm fearful of saying but my concern for your soul outweighs my concern for how positive or negative you are toward this message. I want you to be saved the old-fashioned way. That is, by dying out to everything of you and lifting up everything of Jesus. Arguing, name-calling, Harshness, bitterness, lust for money, lust for the cell phone, lust for the movies, lust for wickedness. If you want to go to heaven, you're going to have to give up all that foolishness. Your life is going to have to be narrowed down, very narrowed down, because right now you walk in the land of the enemy. You walk in the land of the devil. You're going to have to give that life up if you want to be saved. See, in the modern church, you can be saved. Just just say, yes, I, I repent of my sins. I love Jesus. I'm good to go. No, you're not. You're not going anywhere except hell. You've got to die out. Why didn't anybody ever tell me that? Why didn't they tell me that in seminary? Or why do preachers not preach this? Well, because it's uncomfortable and it tears down all of a man's altars. And it might affect their giving. My brother, my sister. There is no shortcut to heaven. It's not by works. It's all by faith. But it's dying. And dying is hard. Why is dying hard? Because we love the things we love and we want the things we want. 
And if we can't have them, we get discouraged and depressed and down. And then we turn and we start going after what we really want. So what is it that you really want today? Are you willing to be saved with the old-time salvation? Salvation that actually works, that changes you and makes you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. The blood comes upon our life as we begin to die out. He encourages us and he loves us. We begin to enter into Jesus Christ. Not entering into a religion. Not entering into a Presbyterian church. But entering into Jesus Christ. The master and the savior. It's time. You're almost out of time. You don't have very long until you make this decision and act upon it quickly. For judgment is coming. I have several people who have said to me, would you stop playing that ugly song at the beginning of your broadcast every day? I've said, why don't you like it? Well, I don't like the sound of it. And in truth, they're offended by the message that the day of judgment is at hand. And they fear that judgment because they are still utterly full of their own desires and demands. You see, what I'm talking about means you have to give up your demands. All, all demands have to be gone. Demands for where I'm going to live. Demands for what I'm going to own. Demands for, for how I'm going to act. All demands have to die if you're going to go to heaven. Jesus doesn't agree with your demands. Did you hear me? You can say, I have to have this or I have to have that. And if I can't have that, I'm not going. One old farmer, he said to me, are they going to let me take my, my John Deere tractor to heaven? I said, no, I don't think you can take your John Deere tractor to heaven. He said, I can't live without my John Deere. I can't live without my John Deere tractor. I said, then you'll have to give up Jesus. No, I want Jesus and I want my John Deere. He was a grain farmer over a thousand acres under cultivation. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? You're going to have to die out if you want Jesus. You cannot have your life and go to heaven too. They're not going to have a football league in heaven. If you have to watch the football games, if you have to watch the basketball and the tennis, and you have to do this and you have to do that, you're not going to heaven. It's time someone speaks the truth to you. You're going to have to die out to that entertainment. My brother and sister, we're almost out of time. I will not be live tomorrow. I need rest. It's been a real stretch to do the broadcast this week. But by God's grace, I will be back next week to talk about the blood and what the blood of Jesus does. I do want to tell you, this morning I've just been full of tears 
for you. Because I see how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God because we love our life so much and our life is so dear to us. Our dogs, our cats, our cars, our money, our entertainment, our family. We're going to have to die out. We're going to have to die out. Let's pray. Lord, I know I can't convince someone to die out. I know that your spirit has to come in power and in might. And you're the Savior. I can't save anybody, Lord, but you can. By your mighty Holy Spirit, with your precious blood, You can save many. And I'm asking, Lord Jesus, today, humbly before your throne, would you turn the hearts of your people and cause them to begin to deal honestly with the commands of Scripture that they must must take up their cross. They must deny themselves. And they must follow you. Lord, would you come in mighty power now? I pray for every person who is sick, who is wounded, who is broken. I pray for your mercy to surround them. And in the time of anguish and pain, would you fulfill your design in their hearts and their lives and bring them to their senses that they would put no confidence whatsoever in their flesh or in their wants or their desires that you know best and you will bring exactly what you need to bring into our hearts that we would then be used by you for the work of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to come this Sunday. Uh, You see behind me in the monitor uh, the area where we now have our house church. We'd love to have you come and visit with us. My brother, my sister, Jesus loves you. I'll talk to you soon. Here's a principle you can...